the sea split in half, revealing a path straight down the middle. A tiny figure whistled softly as it made its way along the path towards Seth, who was smiling pleasantly. My dear Funza. Fatima later confessed that as soon as she sensed Funza and heard that wretched sound emanating from her, that it literally made her sick if a prison could feel such a thing. Funza stopped and looked up. The rock that Seth was perched on was high above her head. She casually waved a hand and water gathered underneath her feet, then lifted her until she was level with him. She stepped on to the rock. Seth looked her over. It's been a very long time. You look good. And you, dear Seth, could use a meal or whatever it is that you gods eat. For thousands of years, Seth had been little more than bones wrapped in a thin layer of flesh and it had nothing to do with lack of food. Being in this place had drained every drop of godly power from his veins. But, Fatima thought, once he made it out and defeated Wusa, he'd breathe life into lungs that he'd crafted especially for her. She'd have eyes to look into his and arms to finally hold him. She'd feel his warmth and he'd feel hers. Funza pressed against the rock with her tiny hand. How do you actually sleep? Gods don't need to sleep. Funza looked up. Oh, hello. After all these years, I don't think we've ever spoken. We haven't. Funza, this is Fatima. Fatima, Funza. Was this feeling, this chaos inside that Fatima was unable to control, the thing that humans called pain? She couldn't be sure. The only thing that she was certain about was that she wanted Funza gone as quickly as possible. Seth stood up slowly. His legs were wobbly and he struggled to keep his balance. Funza threw an arm around his tiny waist and propped him up. You're going to be able to make it, old man? Not without you, dear Funza. And you as well, Fatima. I'll need you both. While it was true that Fatima could keep the Guardian from waking up, she wasn't capable of opening the doorway back to Earth. Only the Jailer had that power. When she reminded Seth of this, he said, Of course, Fatima. That particular issue is being addressed as we speak. Now he ran as hard as she could toward a pyramid in the distance. She'd been on her knees seconds before, examining flowers, trying to remember if they were the ones that she'd seen through the eyes of the queen bee, just before she'd seen that piece of ock. But she couldn't be sure. There were so many flowers, and the details of what she'd seen began to fade, as they always did after these kinds of experiences. But then, she looked up and caught a glimpse of a black speck fluttering toward that pyramid and bolted after it. 
The second she'd gotten within 20 feet of the pyramid, a blinding spotlight emanating from its tip was shining in her face. No. There were signs all around her, warnings in hieroglyphics that this area was restricted and she'd been so focused on catching Ock that she'd missed them all. A split second later, she was surrounded. Three warriors with staffs as tall as Naui were pointing them directly at her head. Naui instinctually snapped into a fighting stance. It didn't matter that these warriors were at least a foot taller and she didn't have Aja, her weapon. They joked, asking her if she'd returned to help other soldiers escape. And all the signs suddenly made sense. This pyramid contained a direct doorway into the prison. But if a piece of Auk had come here, it could only mean one thing. He was trying to help the god escape. She looked each warrior in the eye and did her very best to explain it. They had to understand. If they didn't and Seth escaped, it would mean the, the end of, of, of everything. Pleading simply wasn't a Naui thing to do, but in this moment, she'd come as close to pleading with someone as she'd ever done in her entire life. They laughed. Of course, it wasn't like the other warriors in Nunubia ever took her seriously, as they'd always judged her as weak and vulnerable. But what happened on the cloud with Funza had made things much, much worse. It didn't matter that it happened in pursuit of Commander Ock and that the whole thing had been a horrible accident or that the guilt that she lugged around like some overloaded suitcase ate away at her every single day. In the eyes of these warriors and all of Nunubia, in fact, she was some half-human idiot that had done the stupidest thing in the history of that civilization. Or at least... That's how Naui saw it. Out of the corner of her eye, she thought she caught another glimpse of the beetle and said, There! Over there! And took a step, but one of the warriors moved her staff's tip and pointed it against her throat. Still smiling, the warrior said, Don't move, little one. But Naui did. With lightning speed, she snatched the warrior's staff out of her hands, struck the warrior in the sternum with the heel of her palm, knocking her on her butt, then spun around to cross staffs with the other two and said, You still think it's funny? Then a stern but soft voice behind her said, Stop. At the sight of her, the two warriors facing Naui immediately dropped their staffs and bowed their heads. Naui didn't have to see the woman to know that she had to be an elder warrior. She turned around slowly, but didn't drop her staff. The woman was steadying herself with a gnarled walking stick similar to Jima's. It had just as many symbols etched into it, and like Jima, her hair was long and silver. But she had something that Jima didn't have, a deep scar that extended the length of her cheek. Side note, something I hadn't known 
up to that point was that silver hair was one of the ways that warriors and other members of the tribe knew someone was an elder warrior. The moment I realized it, I thought about Jima and wondered why, if she'd been an elder warrior, she hadn't chosen to rest like the others. The warrior that Naui laid out scrambled to her feet, and both her and Naui bowed their heads. But Naui still hadn't dropped the staff and, in fact, tightened her grasp on it. The woman noted this with her eyes and looked Naui over. You must be Naui. Naui nodded quietly and, searching her memory, was certain that she had no idea who this woman was. She said, drop the staff, Naui. Naui laid the staff down. Then the mysterious silver-haired woman lifted her walking stick up and spoke into it. Nah, I have your student here on restricted ground. Naui heard Nafisa's voice respond, saying she was on her way. Then the woman surveyed the three warriors, their heads still bowed, and said, True strength is of the mind, not the body. Consider that the next time you underestimate your opponent. Then she waved them off, and they were gone. Nawi watched as the woman then kneeled down, shut her eyes, and began to gently massage the dirt. She talked about the noise that Nawi and the warriors made, disturbing her talk, though she didn't mention who she'd been talking to. A spark flickered at the center of her forehead, just above the bridge of her nose, and a soft glow began emanating there. As this happened, the woman smiled and told Nawi that her name was Anaya, and that she was a healer, and other things. Clouds quickly gathered above them, and it began to drizzle. Anaya patted the ground that was now wet with rainwater and said, that was exactly what you needed. Now he had known that there were members of the tribe that took care of the land and grew food, but hadn't imagined that this elder warrior could be one of them. Also, a question that kept cycling through her brain was how Anaya could be both an elder warrior and a healer at the same time. To Naui, that just didn't make sense. But she quickly pushed that thought away and began thinking of how she might convince this woman that precious time was being wasted and they needed to focus on capturing Auk. Nafisa arrived soon after, bowed her head, and Anaya explained what happened. When she mentioned the part about Naui knocking one of the warriors on her butt, Naui could have sworn she saw a look of pride flash across her teacher's face, but it quickly passed. Nafisa apologized profusely to Anaya, and just as she began escorting Naui away, Naui suddenly stopped. This was her teacher, the closest thing she'd known to a mother, and the embarrassment she'd caused her tore up inside, but this was more important than her teacher's saving face. Auk had to be stopped. 
as she looked Nafi in the eye and told her everything she'd seen. Uh, Anaya was tending to the ground and the flowers, but now he could tell she was listening. Nafisa listened as well, but now he had the overwhelming sense that all she wanted to do was get Nawi out of there as quickly as possible. She'd only seen the beetle for a split second, and her teacher quickly grasped on that fact. How could she be sure that it was actually Auk? Then Nafisa put her arm around Nawi for the first time since she'd arrived, and whispered that she understood why she did what she did at the cloud. That she knew she was only trying to capture Auk, and that she hadn't done what she'd done on purpose. But after glancing toward Anaya, who continued to tend to the flowers, said she was only making things worse for herself. Ugh, why couldn't Nafi understand? Existence itself was in the balance. It was true that she'd only had a glimpse of Ock, but that was enough. She trusted her gut, and her gut was screaming that a piece of Ock was here, and at that very moment, working on helping Seth to escape. Then, a familiar voice broke through and asked Naui if she'd seen its eyes. Nawi turned and saw Asha approaching. If you'd asked Nawi in that moment who was the last person in the universe she expected to see besides Jima, the first name that would have popped into her head was Asha. Truth was, Asha hated coming to Nunubia. It always made her feel extremely claustrophobic. But here she was, in the flesh. The first question out of Nawi's mouth was obvious. What was she doing there? Asha, who had barely ever even spoken to Nawi growing up, simply said that she was there to testify at the hearing on her behalf. Testify on her behalf? This was coming from someone who'd barely even said hello to her, and suddenly she was here in a place that she couldn't stand to testify on her behalf. Asha asked about the eyes of the beetle. Was Naui able to see its eyes? Naui couldn't remember. Then she saw Asha suddenly bow her head. Anaya had stepped up and gently stroked Asha's cheek with the back of her hand. Then Anaya said, Asha, it is always good to see you here. Nawi was pretty sure that Anaya wasn't Asha's teacher, as this would have been someone who was a seeker, not an elder warrior. But there was obviously a deep connection between these two, or at least that's what Nawi sensed. Anaya mentioned something about reminding Jima that she was still waiting, and Asha laughed. Nawi had no idea what any of this meant, but it made her realize that she also had some kind of connection with Jima. Asha said that she'd let Jima know. Then Asha's expression turned dead serious. 
She told Anaya and Nafi that if Naui said she'd seen a piece of Ak, she believed her. Anaya turned her attention on Naui and asked if she was sure what she'd seen. Naui nodded her head. Then Anaya thought about it for a moment. She admitted that she'd felt uneasy for the past week or so, but couldn't quite put her finger on it. Because of her connection with the land, she might have been picking up on his presence. It couldn't hurt to take a look. Nafisa turned toward Nawi, told her that she had 30 minutes before the hearing started, so the search had to be completed before then. The path had gotten thinner, and the wall of ocean water on either side of Seth and Funza that seemed as high as the highest skyscraper was beginning to collapse bit by bit. Funza, who was carrying Seth like an overgrown infant, would be fine if the walls of the ocean came down, but Fatima knew that Seth, who was already in a weakened condition, couldn't possibly make it. She was doing her best to control her oceans, but she was failing miserably. The problem was simple. Funza was toxic to her system, and the longer she remained, the worse she was going to get. Along the way, Funza actually ran into the seekers that were searching for her, but they never saw her or Seth. She'd made the water so murky that they were both basically invisible. Fatima had told them that they'd know they were close to the door when they saw the guardian, and before they knew it, they were able to see the giant octopus slumbering just off to the side, encased in the wall of ocean. They may as well have been tiny grains of sand next to the enormous beast as it twitched every few moments as if it were dreaming. Directly in front of them was an archway adorned with hieroglyphics all around its edges, and beyond it was pitch black. Funza stopped and gently placed Seth on the ground. She sat down beside him. Funza asked him if he was sure they couldn't just walk through that, that archway. He said, no, dear Funza. Until it's opened, the doorway leads right back into the prison. We wait, he said, lying down on his back, and hope that the message you were able to get to Ak has helped him to find the doorway. Fatima had later admitted that she allowed telepathic messages to be passed back and forth between Seth, Ak, and later Funza, though she had to be very, very careful to prevent Safina from detecting this. Once that piece of Ak had gained access to Nunubia, Funza was able to telepathically guide it to the correct pyramid. Of course, Getting into the pyramid was entirely in the hands of Ak. Despite the fact that all life as I knew it was in the balance, I still had to go to school. I'd been praying for the lunch bell since the day it started, and once it finally came, I found a secluded area near the back of the school and turned on my phone. Naui, 
meanwhile, was on her way back to the airport with a mall, and as soon as she answered, I quickly said, Go on. Twenty-five minutes had passed, and they'd come up empty. No sign of a beetle, and the pyramid looked completely intact. They'd been thorough, especially Asha, who'd scanned every inch of the lower half of the pyramid. She even released Har, the falcon, who searched higher regions of the pyramid, but found nothing. Now he sat down near an area she'd searched over and over, then laid her head down in the grass. On top of everything else, they were going to think she was delusional. Then she saw something. Hidden behind a few blades of grass at the base of the pyramid was a tiny hole. Now he laid down on her stomach and put her eye right up against it. She was able to see clear through it to the inside of the pyramid. A hand touched her shoulder. It was Asha. She said, what you got? Safina was called, and within a few seconds, she arrived and they were all facing the archway into the pyramid, and through it was the same thick darkness that Funza had seen from Fatima. Safina grasped her ankh, and suddenly the darkness was illuminated and another arch was visible through it. This was the direct doorway into the prison. They all stepped through and looked around the arch. They saw nothing unusual at first, but then Asha noticed a beetle just inside the arch, projecting a dark beam. Asha said, I see it, and carefully took a familiar ancient jar out of her pocket. Then she began twisting it slowly as the others remained completely still. As Asha lifted the lid, ocean water blasted through, knocking everyone off their feet. Now he looked around. She'd blacked out, and she wasn't sure if it had been a few seconds or several minutes. Then she saw Funza cradling Seth, headed toward the Nile, and went after her. Warriors were swarming on Funza from every side, and she laid Seth down on the ground, ran to the edge of the Nile, and stretched out her arms. The water from the Nile drained out and gathered around her, growing larger and larger. Now he stopped. She looked at the pyramid they'd just come out of and ran back toward it, whipping past Asha, Nafi, and Anaya, who were heading toward the fight. Now he took a second and surveyed the pyramid, then sprinted up the side. As she got to the tip, she saw that the warriors below were being swept aside and thrown around like rag dolls by the giant watery hands of Funza. Once now he reached the top, she leapt head first toward the water giant. She soared through the air for a split second, then went straight through the back of the giant and began swimming toward the soldier. Funza was so busy with the other warriors, she hadn't noticed Naoi until she was right on top of her. Naoi grabbed her and they spun around and around. Within a few seconds, the water giant dissolved and Naoi felt herself plummeting toward the ground. 
she blacked out again, and when she opened her eyes this time, she saw giant spheres of water shooting at warriors like bullets, swallowing them up and pushing them backwards. Funza, meanwhile, was heading up the stairway with Seth in her arms. Naoi had no idea how she was able to get up, but she did, and somehow found the strength to run after them. They were halfway up the steps when Funza saw her. Naoi thought, for a split second, that she saw deep sadness in her eyes, and there was a thought she'd heard communicated in Funza's voice. Don't make me do this, was what she thought she heard. Naoi shook her head and kept going. She had gotten within a few feet when a sphere of water soared up from below, swallowed Naoi, and slammed her back to the surface. When she looked up again, they were gone. No, they weren't going to get away. On fumes, she got to her feet, ran up the steps, stumbling several times, and managed to slip through right before the doorway out of Nunubia closed. She was met by a hazy sunset and the blazing eyes of Og, who'd surrounded both Seth and Funza in a tornado of black sand. She could only watch as they swept away and disappeared into the distance. Now he collapsed. When she opened her eyes again, her teacher was sitting over her, gently stroking her cheek. Naoi hoped that somehow it had all been some horrible nightmare, but it hadn't. No, Seth had escaped. Nafi looked Naoi in the eye, then took the box that contained Aja out of her pocket. She opened it and said, this belongs to you. What about the hearing? For now, Nafi said, there'd be no hearing. Seth had escaped, and this meant only one thing. On April 2nd, the war began.